Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Today we are broadcasting live from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site following the Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. We're really excited to uh, to be talking about corn, to be doing a workshop again. We had uh, had some folks in attendance. We had a live stream audience as well today. Hopefully you were able to take part in that. And we've got more workshops coming up later this winter as well. If you're an Ag PhD Insider Magazine subscriber, you're already getting emails saying, hey, here's your login information. You can attend your workshop from home today. So that's pretty exciting as well. We really love some of the benefits that we've got with technology these days. All right, so if you are in our audience live here today, if you've got a question for us, just raise your hand, and Glenn or John will bring around the mic to you. Uh, don't be worried about touching it because we have uh, hand wipes and we will be sterilizing it uh, as we go around. Uh, but anyway, we do have a bunch of live stream questions that have come in. So, Darren, maybe if you want to grab some of those questions that have come in from the live stream and Alex uh, or Miranda or anybody, if you want to text us those questions, that would be great. Uh, but yeah, again, if you've got any oh, questions, just raise one. your hand we and we'll, right here, we'll get Brad. to you right away. Let's, let's start there. Hi, I'm Todd from Central Minnesota. And what's the difference for you guys if you went triple flex over uh, uh, Resicor? Okay. okay. Uh, yep. We had a good discussion today talking about pre-emerged corn herbicides. If you're just tuning into the radio show and you weren't in the the agronomy workshop earlier today, we we're talking about pre-corn herbicides, talking about some of the other components. So both of those uh, products that you mentioned, Resicor and TripleFlex, have got a group 15 component. So we've got similar grass control products, but we've got a difference in what products we're using for the broadleaf control. Yep. So the only real difference, and I've got that up on the screen for you now, they both contain harness or acetochlor. They both contain stinger. So the only difference is Resicor's got Callisto, that's an HPPD, and Triple Flex Sure Start, that's got Python. Python is an ALS. So if let's say that I had Venus Mallow and Velvet Leaf bad, um, I would probably lean toward Triple Flex I Sure Start. I tell you what, that Callisto is not too bad it's on those products bad, either. So. But those are better. And it, here's the other thing. You can only use HPPD, or you should only use HPPD once. So a lot of times I kind of look at it and say, look, if, if I'm going to use something pre, I'd rather save my HPPD post so I can get totally by cheap agree. post. Totally agree. So if I was going to use it pre, I'm almost always going to recommend the Triple Flex or Sure Start if it's down to those two products. And I would say either use the Resicor at a low rate post or just use an HPPD and a little atrazine and Roundup or something post. So that's usually how we would look at it. So if you put that Resicor down and you've already burned up your HPPD, now we're left basically with Dicamba post-emerge. So if you want to spend the money on status or Diflex or you don't mind the drift or potential crop injury out of old Banville or Clarity, you can certainly go that way. <laughs> well, I'm just saying... That's you can see why I think we you had him at cheap, Brian. I think you had him at cheap. It's way yep. cheaper post emerge if you start with the triple flex, which is also a cheap option, and then you come back post emerge. That could be a good fit for you. All right, All right we got another oh, question over yeah, here. Let's go. Oh, there. Okay. On copper sulfate and uh, zinc, were you talking active ingredient or you're talking material? Uh, in our trials that we showed earlier today. Okay, so today we put up. Uh, some trial work that we done at the Ag PhD field day site. We also talked about some of the things we're doing on the farm. Uh, and we were talking about the actual amount of product that we put out rather than the, the active. Or so rather than pounds of actual yes. copper, we talked about how many pounds of copper sulfate did we put out there. Yep. 
Yeah, and if there's some specific question uh, that you have for a slide, just catch us later or, or talk to Glenn. Or talk to Glenn it. right there. He's the guy yep. that applied it. All right, let's go back here. So I have two questions. My name is Lars from Colton. Uh, it's why I learned so much about soil samples. Um, I understand they're very important, but most farmers go to the elevator and they would spray their land or fertilize it and they do the soil sample test and they get it a lot cheaper than say a regular farmer that sends in its own. So then if that's the case then, then you talk about gridding and say not the whole land needs potassium <clears throat> but just different spots. Another spot has different magnesium and different spots have different sodiums. Well you guys don't have, most elevators I think, sprayers, don't have 20 different shoots that can put in, okay, here's a magnesium, turn that one off, here's potassium, you know, stuff like that. So how would you go about that then when, why grid it, I guess, if you are not going to go in the exact spot? Yep. Okay, so two things that we can address for you there. Number one, in terms of getting the soil testing done, you're not going to find it cheaper at an elevator typically than what you can do it yourself if you do the same thing. Usually the only reason why it's cheaper, it's one of two things. It's either they took fewer samples or they didn't run a complete test. Or, we or see number three, they, they just decided to absorb that cost and add it to your cost oh, sure. on fertilizer. True. So there, it's going to get paid for one way or the other. There's no free lunch here. Yep. But in terms of uh, variable rate spreading, a lot of custom applicators have the ability to have three different compartments. So even on our farm, we bought a used floater last spring for $40,000. It's nice too. And we have three compartments in there. So we can variable rate three different things as we go. Now, there might be something where you say, you know, I'm not going to variable rate this. I'm going to run with a straight rate. If there are two of those three things, maybe you can put those into one, one compartment and then you're running, let's say, zinc sulfate in another and let's say it's MAP or something in another one, whatever it is. I'm just trying to say uh, you can do it that way. Otherwise, you could run two passes over the field, worst case scenario. Yeah, so we, on our farm this fall, that. we did. Yeah, we've definitely yep. done that. We've run multiple passes in a year. The other thing that I've, I've talked to some farmers is say, you know what? I'm dealing with my zinc this year, and right. I'm going to deal with copper next year. Yes. And you can certainly do it that way, too. Yep, because our here's our hope, that you kind of even things out, and now you don't have to variable rate so much moving forward. That's why, too, we talked about one-acre grids just a little bit today. We're not saying that's a long-term strategy, but just in the short term, you do that, you get more data, you even the field well, out. Now you can go back to two-and-a-half or five-acre grids if you'd like And to. we can pay for a lot of grids if we find areas out there that, wow, here's an area I don't need fertilizer. Right. Well, instead of spending 100 bucks on fertilizer, I could pull 10 more grids now. That's, that's a pretty good deal, too, when you find out areas where you can spend money and, and areas where you don't have to because... We, believe me, if we can find areas where we don't have to spend money, that's an awesome day for us. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. 
Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting live from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. Just finished up the Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. We're taking questions from our audience here. We've also had a live stream audience today. And if you say, oh, I could live stream it, that's a, a lot easier for me than getting all the way up to Baltic. You sure can. We've got our workshops available on live stream. If you're an Ag PhD Insider Magazine subscriber and you say, oh, no, a magazine I got to subscribe to, well, for five years uh, and 50 bucks, that's that's not too bad. It's probably cheaper than the fuel driving here once. All right, so we're going to get back to some questions in our audience. If, if you wouldn't mind, just give us your first name and the state that you're from. We'd appreciate that, and then our listeners know as well. Anyway, go ahead. I'm Darren. I live in northwest Iowa. Um, I have a compaction question. I've got some compaction that I'm dealing with, and I don't have – the option really to do fall tillage because I run cows. <clears throat> so I'm looking at biological products or either spring tillage. What would be my best options? Well, our number one concern with the spring tillage is how wet is that ground? And I mean, that's always the thing, right? With compaction is how wet's the soil. But, you know, usually what we're looking at is we want to make sure we get enough tile out there number one. Number two, we want to make sure we have enough calcium out there. We want to see our calcium levels above 65% and preferably closer to 75%. That usually means a little bit more porous soil. You, you can uh, get a little more water movement going through that. I'll give an example just, just from some ground that I own. It was 40% calcium roughly and 40 to 50% magnesium, something like that. So it was really high in magnesium and really low in calcium. And by putting out lime over a six-year time period, just the complete texture of that soil has changed. You can't even believe it's the same ground that you're walking on. So Brian's right. Having that calcium percentage correct helps quite a bit. I don't know if that's your particular problem necessarily, but uh, it's something I'd look at on my soil test. Do you know off the top of your head where your calcium's at? About 60, 62%. Okay. Yep. So that could come up a little bit. I don't know yep. if I'd go much past 70, but you could go a little bit higher on the calcium. Yeah. And in terms of biological products, 
you know, I don't know if there's anything I can say that is, oh, I put this on and all of a sudden my compaction's gone. We just don't see that. There, there are certainly some, I would call them surfactants, adjuvant kind of products that have been used. So there are a few different ones we could possibly talk to you about. But, you know, one of the things, so I, we've heard about this kind of stuff for years that, oh, you put this stuff on and all of a sudden water starts going into the soil. And most of the time I thought, ah, I don't know how much that is, how good that is. And then there's a company that we do a lot of work with, and, and actually they sell a lot of adjuvant products. And, and uh, anyway, they got a lot of great people and everything, and they said, Brian, you wouldn't believe how much stuff we sell to golf courses now. I said, what? Golf courses have problems? He said, yes, on the greens. They're mowing it so, uh, they're, they're mowing it so much, and whatever they're doing there for fertility or whatever, he said, they're just having problems with that some of those greens sealing up and pretty soon stuff will start to die in spots on the greens. And so there, there are products now that can be sprayed on that and they're getting a little bit better water infiltration and it is making a difference. So anyway, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of any specific Yeah, I don't know because we you, aren't using any of those products no. on our farm, but there are some things out there. And yep. like you say, it's along the lines of surfactant type things. Yep. So uh, uh, give your information to Glenn and we'll get back to you on that. All right. Thanks for the question, Thank Darren. You. Uh, you got one over here, John? Okay. Uh, I got a couple brand that came in uh, from our live stream audience. One is, why do you guys not use atrazine in your pre-emerge corn recommendations? Yep. So I had a slide up, and let's see. It, yeah, I bet it's right after here. So I'm going to pull this up for everybody that's in our audience right now, and I have something on atrazine. Hopefully it's here. Maybe it's not here. Anyway, the reason why we talk about no atrazine pre is we worry so much about groundwater contamination. When you put atrazine out pre-emerge, what ends up happening is you have more rainfall, you have no roots uh, of weeds or, uh, or crop to absorb that atrazine, and it just means you're running a lot more risk of having it go down into the groundwater because atrazine can leach pretty easily. It's very water soluble and it can move through that soil profile quickly, especially if you have light soil and a fair amount of rain or irrigation. So even though we talked about today, atrazine is relatively safe compared to a lot of other things out there. It's actually much safer for you than caffeine, but that doesn't mean that we want to go drinking atrazine or anything like that. It's not a good thing when we have pesticides that end up in groundwater. So because atrazine so soluble, because it moves so easily through the soil profile, we just simply don't want it out there pre because that's where almost all the groundwater contamination issues with atrazine have been traced back to. When you use it post-emerge, now you've got crop to absorb it, you've got weeds to absorb it, you've got roots in the ground, you have more sunlight, you have less rainfall, you have more heat later in the season. So all these things that could break the herbicide down, it basically just means your chances are probably a uh, hundredfold higher of having atrazine groundwater contamination using it pre versus using it post. So we would just recommend you use it post. Oh, do we have a question here? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm Adrian from uh, North Dakota. Thanks for today. Great class. I've got a field that I drain tiled, um, oh, probably 12 years ago. I started at a 7.8 pH, and it's really sandy, light soil. Okay. I'm down to a 5.4. Okay. What point is too low on the pH? 5.4. 5.4. <laughs> what, 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 what crop are we talking about? Uh, it's corn. It's been okay. corn for the last 17 years. Okay. 
Yep. So yeah, for corn, you don't have to be as high as you do for some crops. I was talking to a farmer at lunch and he said, how about alfalfa? And I, what do I need to do to get more tonnage for alfalfa? And I said, well, you got to get that pH up. We need that up at six, eight or seven. You don't need that for corn. If you're at even the low sixes, you're probably good enough. But if it's sand, it's not going to take a whole lot of lime to get your problem fixed. Just get a little bit of lime out there, get yourself up to six, and you should be in good shape. One other quick thing that I would mention, if you ran your test this fall and it was dry, your test might be 0.1 or 0.2 lower than normal just because it is it was so ridiculously dry. Okay. Uh, would spent lime work, or do I have to use like a dolometric or other type of lime? It all depends on what the rest of your soil test shows. A lot of times when we're talking sand, the magnesium levels can get pretty low. So that's where people will go dolomitic lime because they get the magnesium basically in there for free, let's call it. And so it's of benefit to you when you're putting the calcium on and you get some magnesium along with it to help tighten up your, your loose sandy soil. Yep. Okay. Yep. Go Glad ahead. got a question back here. Marilee from North Central Iowa, and got a question earlier. You discussed the Rise Up product yep. for silage tonnage. Yes. At what stage do you, do you apply that, or is it more temperature based, or was it, it's a field yep. that we're taking rileage off of first, and then we're following up with silage? Okay, great, great. Yeah, it is. It is temperature related, and when we think about gibberellic acid, that's the active ingredient in Rise Up Smart Grass. It's most impactful when we've got cooler high temperatures. So if we've got highs in the 60s or less, that's where we have it because the plant will produce its own gibberellic acid. Once it gets a little bit warmer, it can move that up through the plant. So when it's cooler for high temperatures, that, that's a big deal. Do you want to add something to that, Glenn? I would be putting it on that rye. Yes, you'd be right away in the springtime. As soon as that thing starts to green up in the springtime, put it on that rye crop as well. That would be huge. Yeah, but again, you know, what so we yeah, said if earlier, corn is coming in later. When is the corn getting planted then? First couple days of June. First couple days of June. Rise up's probably not going to be that product at that time because our soils are already warm. Yeah, so it, it, it really has to do with what's the temperature at that point especially the air temperature and usually like we've got on the screen there 40 to 65 degrees when we're in that kind of range whether it's nighttime daytime whatever if you've got cooler temperatures you're going to see uh you're going to see more response out of that now what i was where i was going with this on the rye if we're after yield with the rye it's not going to do it but if you're after tonnage with the rye then that's where it can really pay yep absolutely oh one thing i will mention too we see this in pasture or in any crop Sometimes the crop will look a little more yellow in the beginning after you've sprayed because we're seeing that, that great growth. Make sure, number one, you have adequate nutrients. But number two, we just see a little temporary yellow, yellowing and we still see more tonnage either way. So even when you have ample end, for whatever reason, it, it, the growth is so fast, sometimes it looks a little yellow. All right, we'll get back to more of your questions right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. 
To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. Agbiome, feeding the world responsibly. Partnering with microbes for human benefit. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds. Even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. The only innovation that matters is the one I need. With NK Seeds, their R&D program actually listens to farmers like me. So I get solutions that solve my challenges. With the support to make them count. Because progress means pushing my potential. And success matters. Push your potential at nkseeds.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. It's a little bit different. We're not taking the calls today because we're we're broadcasting live from the Morton Center following the Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. And we're all social distanced up here and doing everything we can to be smart and safe. But you know what? It's really great uh, being able to talk with other farmers and find out what's on their minds and, and get some ideas as well. So let's get back to questions here from our audience. John from Southeast South Dakota. In your 2016 First Steps Plots aerial photos, yep. you've got two strips of darker corn, and yep. you talked that that you talked about that being associated with magnesium. Manganese. manganese. Man, oh, man, manganese. manganese. Yes. Now, is that something that can be applied in the uh, starter fertilizer? Yes. If so, at what rate, and what's the beneficials of that? Date-wise and rate-wise. Sure. Okay, so what I was using that year, and for that plot, it's just one quart of manganese chelate. In the irrigated plots, I actually used two quarts of manganese chelate. 
if you look at, let's see, I don't remember what Randy Randy Dowdy did that year, but uh, he had a number of different things out there and some uh, uh, some some micros in general. And he had put out pre-plant some manganese sulfate. He'd put out 10 pounds of manganese sulfate dry pre-plant. So he went about it a little bit differently than I did. But either way, be, and and let me let me step back for one second. I, I'm, I, I'm just laughing, Brian, because Glenn, our, our research lead, is here. He's the guy that applied all that stuff, and yeah, he had so many different combinations. Guys were doing, and, and we mentioned the green up. I know we've done that with iron combinations as well, putting iron out to green things up. Okay, but but the whole thing is for our soils. We had realized we were short on manganese a few years ago. And we tried some different things to get more manganese in the plant after that, and especially around this kind of time. Uh, you know, 2016 was when these plots went in. But one of our challenges has been we did a bunch of liming on our farm because about 10 years ago we realized we had a lot of low pHs, a lot in the fives. So we put lime on, and then about a couple of years later we put a bunch more lime on, and as it turned out, the lime took longer to break down than we realized. So we were trying to raise our pH into the sixes, and unfortunately, we raised a lot of our pHs into the low sevens. Well, the higher you get your pH, the more issue you have with manganese availability. So number one, we didn't have a lot of manganese out there. Number two, it wasn't super available. So we're like, okay, how are we going to overcome this in the short term? Because long term, you know, over time, our pHs will start coming back down. Everything will be fine. But what do we do right now? And so the year before... Randy Dowdy had used some manganese in our high yield plots and he beat me in yield and I don't like to get beat. So plus I'm trying to learn from these guys just like they were trying to learn from us. And I thought, okay, he did this and I know we had response because we could see it in the plant tissue analysis. And we believe that was what was leading to better green up. And Darren had talked earlier today about Neil Kinsey was out that same year and he's one of the world's leading soil fertility experts. And he just noticed Hey, hey, we had uneven emergence that year before in our high yield plots. And he said, I bet you that's related to manganese. I bet you your manganese levels are this low. Look at our tests. Yep, they are that low. Okay, we got a problem. And so it's like, what do we do short term? So again, uh, Randy put out some manganese sulfate. I use some manganese chelate. You can also spray some manganese foliar, but it's just manganese is so important for germination and early emergence. We, we just want stuff early. And, yes, it can be used as part of a normal starter program if you want. Okay. You got another question, Glenn? Yeah, my name is David from southeast Kansas. And we've talked a lot about uh, natural products, yep. and we're starting to use more in the in-furrow. The other thing we talked about today um, – was the new Zyway product, which yep. is a fungicide, I guess, that makes its way from the inside of the plant. Yep. Are you concerned at all that we're putting all this bioactivity in the furrow to try to increase things, and then we throw a fungus, this new fungicide in with it? Yep, it's a great question. We talked about this just a little bit earlier today, and, and let me say a couple of things. First of all, with almost every fungicide product out there, if it's going to get used let's call it in furrow or on the seed, then a lot of the biological companies, or we call them natural products, they're testing their products against that to see not if, all, hey, Not nope, all of them nope, are, nope. but most of them are because yes. they know, all right, you're going to throw headline out there. We better make sure that headline isn't going to kill our stuff. And a lot of these microbial products, what we'll see is rather than having a single strain, there's still some single strain products out there. I can't believe it. 
single strain, if, if that happened to be susceptible to a different fungicide that you used, they're toast and you're getting nothing. We're seeing so many of them now that are stacking up strains that are putting in fun, fungal components and bacteria components and more. And they're trying to do everything they can to make sure, all right, if 9 out of 10 still work, we're still going to have good performance for you. And so, yeah, I agree. There's a lot of testing getting done to make sure those things are compatible. And then the other thing is just to read the instructions because some of them will say it's okay to put fungicide on, just put them in different tanks. Don't pre-mix them. And there are a few products that are like, mix us with anything. We're okay because we're in a spore form. We aren't actually live fungus here, so it's spores. And so the fungicide isn't going to kill the spores. So that's that's how they're getting around that a lot. Yep. So I wouldn't say we're super worried about that, but we have to make sure any new biologicals oh. coming are getting tested against And that. And the other thing is well, we talked about doing things in a two-by-two two or a two-by-two two on each side of the row versus in furrow. When you've got capabilities to do both, now you can drop your beneficial bacteria and fungi in the furrow, and you can put some of the other stuff in the two-by-two two or vice versa. One of the charts we put together today was a number of different fungicides and then which chemical family their components were in. So we've got a, we've got a column for strabilurin, column for triazole, column for SDHI. And most of the fungicides that are getting used in the United States and Canada today will be one of or more than one of those particular chemical families. So like Zyway, for example, basically the triazole in there, it's the exact same thing as TopGuard that's been around for a while. So we're very familiar with that. And you can see almost every one of the fungicides has a triazole, uh, uh, at least of that chart that I had up on the screen there, whether it was by itself, like in that case, or two or three different modes of action. Okay, All right. uh, another question here. Yeah, Ben from Southeast South Dakota. I got a question uh, more towards soybeans, but um, with a uh, plant growth regulator. Um, we had been putting on AC97, which I believe has MegaGrow in it. Yep. Uh, one question is, does that have the full rate of MegaGrow in it? It's got those components. It's a slightly different ratio than what MegaGrow has. Okay, and we had been putting it on at like R1, R2 with our fungicide. Um, uh, timing of that, and or is there a better option too for a plant growth regulator? What are, are there any other options? I guess uh, R1 or R2. Well, uh, I'm sorry, was that soybeans or corn? Soybeans. soybeans. Yeah, soybeans. So we we we've had good results at the R2 to R3, R1 to R2. It's certainly possible, but I, I if I was going to do it one time, I'd probably go just a little bit later than that. A lot of times I'll tell guys, okay, as soon as you see the very first pods in the field, that's when you want to be out there. So now you're right at the R2 to just starting R3. Yep. And what's interesting too, we were talking about some of the, the first step plots that we've done at our field day site and how we've seen some of those growers using multiple applications and that type of thing. Uh, it's something to try out on a small scale before you go too crazy. Because I know this about plant growth regulators, you can overdo it. And when I say overdo it, I don't just mean the rate of that one application. I mean the frequency. So let's just say you put, and we had this problem, and I know uh, Rob, another competitor in our plots, and me both had this problem where we put on a plant growth regulator, and then about a week later, we put on a plant growth regulator. And it was overload for the plant, and the plants looked like death for a while. 
And so I just pulled back. I'm like, I'm not putting on anything until those crops look good again. Uh, Rob said, you know what? I'm going to try some more plant growth regulator. Maybe that'll pull it out of it. And his went downhill and mine started looking better. And so we're like, okay, I guess we way overdid that. And we can laugh about it now because we did it on a small strip and it wasn't on a big amount of our farm. So yeah, using it once, no problem. Using multiple ones and using them too close together can be an issue. We got about 20 seconds to sell commercial if you want to add something there. Well, Brian, you remember you and I and Rob were standing in that field, and that was in 2016 after we did this was our second yep. year in, and Rob was gonna shatter the world with this thing. <laughs> and he we Brian's comment was flat out, I would till this thing up if this is my plot. <laughs> yeah, I don't want anybody <laughs> seeing We this. don't want a whole field to look like that, that's for sure. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. BA corn. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. It's about time. Applied at Planning, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Enfurrow Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. 
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We are broadcasting live from the Morton Center following the Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. We're taking questions here, so let's get right back to it. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, great show today. Um, Thank you. Trying to figure some things out. Over the last couple of years, we've fixed some drainage problems. That's helped out quite a bit. Um, I'm trying to level out fertility in my fields, yep. um, so that's helped out some. Um, next on my list is I'm trying to figure out um, fertilizer efficiency. I'm thinking, is it broadcast? Is it strip? Uh, is, is the strip worth the extra time and expense to do it and so forth? That's kind of been on my mind recently. What are you guys' opinions? Do you own the ground or rent it? Own it. Irrigated or dry land? Both. And where are you at? Southeast South Dakota. Okay. Well, well irrigated helps <clears throat> get nutrients in. So you, you take away that, uh, it can get dry, and I just won't get anything. I was talking to some folks here today that said, man, my tissue levels really plummeted once we went dry in July and August this year. And I said, yep, welcome to the club. No rain, <laughs> nothing to push things into the roots. So in those cases, boy, I sure like having that band, and I like having a deep band because then we're going to have some moisture down there, and I can keep nutrients coming into my plant. Here's my next question for you. How many more years do you want to farm? <laughs> no, I'm dead serious. How many more? I mean, just as a good general ballpark. Oh, boy. We're going to go down this 10-year oh, study, Brad. Just, just go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, I myself, maybe not so much, but generationally, probably quite a few. Okay, okay good, good, because yeah. he's trying to set you up here, I think. Well, the whole thing is, if you're going to have that ground in your family for the next 50 years or even 30 years, you know, broadcasting fertilizer, building the soil up, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So people talk, let's, let's turn it around to forget about conventional farming. A lot of people want to talk organic. And what, what's the first thing they're going to say? Soil health. We want good soil health. If we feed the soil well, we're feeding the microbes and we're trying to do everything we can to build organic matter and all that kind of stuff. That all kind of ties into leaving our ground in better shape for the next generation. So I don't have any problem with it. It's just your economics for the next 10 years aren't going to be as good if you if you broadcast versus if you band because you can get by with less fertilizer for the next 10 years but the problem is if you say well i just want to have my overall ground in better shape i think you can do that very well too with broadcast it, it it's so long until you recover that fertilizer though and it, it's it, to give you an example of that with the manure I'll bet you that for almost anybody in the room, you can f see where dad or grandpa spread manure a generation or two ago, right? We can all find those spots. That shows you how long that stuff can last in the soil. It also shows you how long it takes to extract it from the soil. So if you want extraction soon, that's where banding really pays. So what we, we do anymore is we do a combination of both. We do some band with the planter or we'll do some band with strip till, but then we want our overall soil levels to average certain numbers and we'll broadcast to make up the difference. So we're, we're, we have kind of a hybrid type program. But yeah, I mean like last year, for example, uh, deep banded fertility to Darren's point because it was dry late in the season, that, boy, that was nice. It was really nice. So our strip till was great last year. All right. Uh, oh, we got lots of questions on the live stream. Oh, boy, right? I got a ton. Yep, yep. I'll, I'll, we can go quick, though. Okay. Uh, first of all, could you repeat what you, you were talking about? 
germination testing, cold germination testing, saturated cold germination testing on corn. What are the industry standards? What should we be looking for? Yep. Uh, so warm germ standard is 95% on corn. On soybeans, by the way, it's 90. Okay. Cold germ standard for corn is 90%. For soybeans, it's 80. No seed company will put the cold germ on the test or on the uh, tag. So you don't really know. You just know that, hey, most companies are looking for this. But that's why we say it's probably a good idea just to test your seeds so you know for sure what you've got. Okay. Uh, oh, and the saturated cold germ can be hit or miss because it's a somewhat inconsistent test. The reason why a lot of people like it is just it's not just cold. It's also wet. Okay. Uh, this question is from Jake. He said, shooting for high-yield corn, we've got a soil pH of 6 to 6.5, and that's all in line, but the yep. irrigation well water is 7.9 to <laughs> 8.1. Yep. Just wondering, will that create issues for me as I'm applying that? Oh, well, it could eventually. So I would just monitor the soil and see if your pH starts to rise. And then if so, you're going to have to do something about it. Because let's say you're putting on lots of nitrogen and lots of things that could create pH going down. You might be able, I mean, the two things might counteract each other and you might be okay. Otherwise, there are certainly water treatments that could be used as well. Okay. Uh, Gail says we were talking about the HPPD carryover. He's cutting back his resicor rate going uh, forward just to help prevent carryover. Is that common? Are you hearing more of that? No, we're not hearing more of that because let's face it, what were 2018 and 2019? They were the wettest years in history. So anybody who did stuff in, who, who raised crop in 2020 probably didn't have a carryover issue. I think for almost all of us as farmers, we think most about recent history, right? Well, if we didn't have a carryover issue last year, I guess I must be doing things right. Correct. Okay, but when our rainfall last in 2020 for us was one third, it was one third of what it was in either 2018 or 2019, uh, maybe things are going to be different here in 2021. We'll see. So, no, we're concerned about it, but it's not necessarily that a lot of people are talking about this. Well, you want to be careful cutting rates back on products, too. We can run into resistance issues really easy, exactly. especially with the HPPDs that are one of those chemistries that we're already seeing a little bit of resistance in certain areas. Make sure you've got other modes of action in there that can, that can help you. Good point. Hi, I'm Dwayne from Western Iowa. Um, I was going to touch, you, you talked a lot on grid sampling, uh, smart zone sampling. Is that the way of the future as far as efficiency and variable rate? And uh, just your thoughts on that. And uh, and I, I really you like your socks, too. <laughs> Thanks. What do you mean by smart zone? Uh, smart zone sampling by, like, you get out the soil map and you create zones sure. of sampling by soil types. Yeah, I, I mean, it's certainly possible that, that a person can do that. A lot of people like grids just because it's super simple. So, I, Yeah, the I challenge mean, with doing things by soil type is you've never farmed by soil type. So we've seen, all right, I've, I've broadcast the same rate over the field. I've got varying levels of yield, so various levels of withdrawal from the field. The only way we can get back started on to uh, getting things back into order is, is just by going out and grid sampling every spot. That's what we found on our farm has been the most accurate. And like Brian said, we aren't expecting that we're going to have to be in these tiny grids forever. But, you know, with some of the different uh, programs that are available now, I know a lot of guys are running Malik 3 tests, for example, where you can do the test for 10 or 15 bucks and get all the nutrients on it. 
it's not as expensive as it, it used to be. So let's put it this way. I, I'm fine with zones. Zones are great. It's just we want small zones. We want small grids in the beginning at least. And once we have proven, okay, these actually are the same for soil tests, now you can broaden things out. So just like I, I pulled up a map here of one-acre grids, okay, well, if I find that five in a row are all exactly the same, and I, I did that for a couple of years, well, let's combine them, and let's just make it all one now zone in effect. So it's just we're believers in a lot of things, but we always want to prove it and prove it in the field. Once we've proven it, Okay, now we're ready to move forward. Okay, uh, strip till question. How are you liking the Soil Warrior machine you're using? When do you use it, and when do you say, I'm going to do something different? Uh, all right, so just strip till in general, I would say we like strip till because we feel like we get the best of both worlds of no-till and conventional till. Our strip is nice and warm in the spring. I mean, literally, it'll be 7 degrees warmer in the strip as opposed to in between. Uh, yet, we still have so much residue out there, we're able to reduce erosion. We have a lot of hilly land. You can see it right out in the south side of the Morton Center here. And we got some rolling hills. So if we can reduce our tillage, that's a win. The uh, challenge with it is just we've got to have at least a halfway decent operator in the fall because we are setting our rows for the spring. And... Uh, it takes a little bit of time. You can't just blow over your field at 15 miles an hour and, you know, something 100 feet wide. So we're running a 12-row machine, and we're probably running 7 miles an hour and doing the best we can. The nice thing that we like, probably the thing we like the best about Soil Warrior, is it's real heavy duty. We don't have a lot of rocks or anything, but, you know, we're trying to do a lot of stuff, going fast, a lot of acres. So it's heavy duty. We don't have breakdowns. We don't have time for breakdowns. All right, we've got a lot of questions to get through and not much time to do it. So we'll dive right back into your questions right after this. Stay tuned. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. I need the solve without the cell. With NK Seeds, I get people I trust who show me where their hybrids and varieties fit in my field without the heavy cell. So I get solutions that solve my problems from a partner who knows that success matters. Find your solve at nkseeds.com. A history of success means proven performance, but let's call performance what it is, profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of DeKalb brand corn. 
backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support. Let nothing shake your perseverance. Ask your dealer how DeKal brand corn can help you realize a future of performance. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker treated nitrogen. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We just finished up the Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. We're taking questions and uh, got a couple soil test ones, Brian. I uh, got one here. We spread chicken litter this past fall, but we haven't gotten our soil testing done. If we do it in the spring, will that nitrogen or sulfur <laughs> in the litter lead to inaccurate data? Going forward, will we always have to pull before we spread the litter, or is there a certain yes. amount of time or so forth no. that we could go after? No, I, I mean, what, what we're always going to say is do your soil test before you apply fertilizer, manure, anything to the soil. Otherwise, your data is going to be somewhat skewed, especially with the manure, because we don't know how much came out of the manure. We don't know how much is left. We don't know at what point you're pulling the soil core. Is there a little bit extra right in that spot or what? It's really hard. It's really complicated. So, I, I, I mean, if you still want to do some soil tests, you can, and you just have to see what you got. I, I, I and kind of go from there. I, I don't know. I don't have a great answer for that. Do we have a question over here? Yeah. Uh, looking at these high-yield individuals uh, beyond growing season, and I look at the uh, scatter graphs you showed us today, are you seeing anything that make these graphs go linear, looking at some of their soil samples and contributing to their higher yields? And during the break, uh, you did talk about uh, their average yield as compared to their test plot yields okay big difference there yeah so a few years ago we started doing i'll call it advanced soils clinics and or secrets to high yield fields we've done some of those workshops where we have some soil tests from guys like david hula for example and stephen albrecht he's one of the guys that's raised 500 bushel corn in his lifetime and some of these really high yield guys information from their farms so that's very helpful for us to see where did they pull these high yields from and okay, so in the case of David Hula, for example, he's got really light soil. So, I mean, we don't have to be real smart to figure out, uh, hey, light soil isn't going to hold nearly what we can hold here in heavy soil. So for a person like him, and especially in the area where he's in, where they don't, their ground's never going to freeze, they get all kinds of rainfall, plus they have irrigation, you're going to manage that a lot differently. So for somebody like that, the soil test will, will look 
probably a lot lower even than ours, but he's fertilizing on a regular basis as he may go through the season. So that's why for some of the high yield guys, they talk about this application, that one, and that one, and I can do 15 times of nitrogen. Well, you know, on 600 and bushel corn, I get that. And if you're throwing it out with a pivot... Right. You do it. You don't need equipment to do it, whatever. You just have to turn a couple things on. Right. But I will say there certainly have been some consistencies. Like we talk about this base saturation potassium thing. We see that right in every one of these high yield guys, right? Where the high yield fields come from, they've got high levels on the base saturation K. And some of the other things that we talk about, it, it does hold true. It's just maybe the overall levels are all lower or the overall levels are all higher. So uh, Stephen Albrecht down in Texas, he passed away a couple years ago, but we got some of his soil tests and I mean, he was dealing with a lot of stuff in the low sevens, even which and and heavy soil. But he got a lot of uh, a, a lot of livestock manure, a lot of uh, uh, beef manure, and it was just interesting seeing what he was dealing with. But yet, it was still kind of the same thing. Now, granted, everything was way, way, way higher than on these super sandy fields, but the ratios were kind of the same. Base saturation K was high. I mean, a lot of the same stuff we're looking for. Well, none of these guys have uh, this perfect spot where the weather's always perfect, everything's great. They all have challenges. Like we were talking about uh, for Randy Dowdy, in their area, if you didn't have irrigation, your corn was dead the last couple of years. It was just dead. didn't matter what kind of management you did. There, You need enough moisture, and you can't stand that kind of heat when you're not getting the moisture. So they've got some tough challenges, too. They've just figured out how to overcome a lot of them. And here's the next thing. So for a lot of us, we say, okay, well, I know I need this, 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 and this, and I'm going to do that. And even for us in our farm, and we talk about it all the time, and we tell people, hey, do this, and you'll get more yield. You look at our, our information here, not all of our stuff even is at 4% base saturation K. We've got a lot more of it now, uh, you know, that where we're at, but we still have some low stuff that, that's showing up there. So it's to get every point done because we used to do a lot of five-acre grid stuff. The five-acre grid, oh, it looked fine. Well, now that we're doing one-acre grids, we realize, uh-oh, within that five acres, we had maybe three of those five or two of the five that weren't there. So that's part of why the yield's up and down through the field. So we're trying to even more of that stuff out. My dream someday is that we could literally sense every foot as we cross the field and get every foot right. Because what I'm afraid is happening now, I mean, you say, it's oh, one acre, that that's really small. That's still 43,560 It's going to get feet. that good, Brian. We're going to be managing by the plant at some point. Maybe not in <laughs> your lifetime, but I probably will. We'll see. Uh, okay. Uh, other questions here. Got a bunch of them. Uh, when pulling soil samples in wet ground, how much will the pH and K levels be off? Are there any other things we should look for? Well, first of all, if you're pulling it in wet ground, I mean, there's a limit to how wet wet can be. Yeah, can it's be not there. so much that it's off when it's wet. It's just off when it's really, really dry. That's where we see the problem. Okay. And, and it's not a big problem. It's just your levels might look a little bit lower. Okay. Not much. Uh, this question. I'm looking to add a starter fertilizer system to my planter in the morning session. Today, you started discussing in-furrow versus 2 by 2 for fertilizers and biology, but then you moved on a little too quick for me. <laughs> Outside of insecticide yeah. and fungicide, what else should be in-furrow compared to 2 by 2 Could you elaborate on which system might be best for which situation? Yeah, insecticide and fungicide, definitely in-furrow, and a lot of the biologicals, I would say, in-furrow as well. So that makes more sense than going 2 by 2 Now, the, part of the problem here is mixing. 
so there are fungicides that don't mix with insecticides and so you may have some issue with that and you could even run two separate systems a lot of these things don't cost all that much money there are some companies out there that will even fund some of the systems that you could put on uh, I, I just say this, with, with in-furrow, we got to be really careful about fertilizer because too much is going to hurt us more than it's going to help. So we've got to run low rates. So if you've got your overall soil profile in great shape, all we really need is in and we need just a little bit. If your overall soil profile is not in very good shape and we need a lot of fertility and we want to put it on with a planter, you have to run two by two. And if you're putting on crazy amounts, and that's why a lot of the high yield guys will talk about two by two on both sides of the row, because they're trying to use such high levels, you can't, you can't even do it just in one two by two. You got to do it on both sides of the row to split it up and not actually hurt things. What were you going to say? You go got ahead. a question over here. Oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Um, what are the best types of products to use to mend the soil for boron and manganese? Because okay. they're hard to long-term amend, I believe. What have you found out? Well, what kind land? of soil do you have and where do you farm? Uh, south central Minnesota. Okay. So heavier ground there? Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, fairly heavy ground. Okay. Yeah. So when we're talking about heavy ground, that gives you a, a big window plus... Uh, you're going to freeze for half the year, so your ground's frozen for probably five months or more, most years. So that's going to help you, too, holding some of those nutrients. So with the manganese, we don't have as much trouble holding that. With the boron, it can leach, especially in lighter soils and heavy rainfall areas. We haven't had much boron leaching here. Our boron's really held up pretty well because we've got good organic matter levels, too. Yeah, so what you can put out there, there are dry products that are not that expensive, for boron, for manganese, manganese sulfate, in my mind, I view that as expensive, okay? I think manganese sulfate is fairly expensive, but it's still cheaper than the manganese chelate if you look at total pounds. So if I wanted to amend the soil, I'm just gonna go spread a dry in the late fall, either boron or like a manganese sulfate. Uh, we, we have done both on our farm and that works fine. If you just want to go in the spring, the manganese you could put right in furrow. We talked about manganese chelate today. You could also foliar feed it. With boron, you can't, you shouldn't put much in furrow. Don't do it in furrow. If you want to do some, do two by two, do strip till. Uh, you could mix liquid boron even with your herbicide and spray it out broadcast. But just be careful with liquid boron and putting boron in for that we do worry about. Okay, uh, a couple other questions. Uh, you mentioned a product called Alpha Complete that has a bunch of different microbials and other things in it. Is that available in Canada? No, it is not currently available in Canada. Uh, another one, what are, the, what are the corn safeners found in Acetochlor products? Typically dichloramid, but there are probably others out there too I'm not aware of. And then do we need to do anything else to safen acetochlor in corn pre-applications? We mentioned pre-plant incorporation. If you could possibly do that, that really safens things up yep. versus leaving it lay on the soil surface. Or if you apply it real early. We applied a lot of ours last year in March, a month before planting. That works great. We apply some in the fall too. Okay. Uh, North Carolina State had some trials with the biological called Heat Shield. You know how they applied that. They put it in furrow. Uh, and uh, let's see, got time for one more here. Uh, well, no, we don't. Uh, we, we got more <laughs> questions. Man, I guess we got lots of questions coming in today. We'll we have can to answer try those to tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. Thanks to everyone who came to our corn agronomy workshop today or tuned in to the live stream. We really appreciate the support. And thanks to all of you for listening today. 
Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.